Hi, I'm Chris Simpson, and our school matters because of the great opportunities it provides for students to learn and grow. Well, on that note. Oh, it's recording! <laughs> oh no, I've been bamboozled! <laughs> Hi, I'm Mr. Ryden. And I'm Sophia Rains. And this is Our School Matters, a podcast where we talk to the teachers, students, staff, and administrators of RCCU1 about what matters to them. So, as you carefully, gingerly, for some reason, take that drink. It's because um, it is ice. Oh, okay. If I move it too much, it'll pick up on the mic. That's a, this is, we want real world here. This is the real world at Richland County High School. I can't remember this for a second. <laughs> talking about the real world. Day, drinking drinks with ice. Talking about the real world. Yeah. I'm a real. <laughs> a real The real person. world. I'm a real adult. You are. You I graduated. are a graduate. That is for <laughs> sure. So, uh, what do you what do you think? How do, what do you think about the uh, graduation ceremony overall? What did it feel like to be? Uh, you've been to several, right? Yes. Because you've sang at them yes. regularly, right? So, what do you think about being actually in the robe and being a center of attention for it? I think it's weird. I <laughs> think it was weird. I think it was weird, but it was also yeah. hot. Yeah. Because they have. <laughs> They had the graduates line yeah. up in two lines and coming up both ends, yeah. but we had to walk through the hallway in uh -huh. between the gym and the locker rooms. Yeah. So it was about 200 children, not yeah. children, 200 oh. non-children. 200 now adults, in, I guess. Now entering in, the real world, finally. In like three layers of clothes, including uh -huh. the robe, just standing there waiting for them to walk, waiting for them to let us walk in. Yeah. It was and awful. All that body it was heat so and, yeah. hot. I was actively <laughs> sweating. I hated it. I... Uh, have myself do very important helping work with the tech guys. I basically just found a, a job to do yeah, with them. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw you I want to go, back. but I don't want to. I've gone before in the the uh, cowl and the robe and all that, and it's like, what? it's just miserable. It. Yeah. Oh. oh, it's just hot. That's all it yeah. was. And it was in Sleva before, which, which did not ever cool down that well. So it would be, oh, I would just yeah, be awful. boiling. So I started live streaming, and now that uh, Tim live streams, that I just monitor the social media feed so nobody says any. And there was some really, some ran it wasn't anything. Some random person typed in, uh, "I like men." <laughs> so, okay, whatever. I guess I'm that's, so okay. I don't even know. I'm so worried. <laughs> I there was the only time I ever had something that I recall that was bad was, uh, and they didn't. They said the actual. Well, they typed the actual word, <gasps> but they said somebody scream the f word. And oh. the thing is, though, it's like, at home? It's a live stream. Why would they be watching it here? Who here is going to yell that out and see That's that true. on the live stream? It's the dumbest thing. I think it's the like... scariest thing is that it's not scary. <laughs> I gave out um, the link to a couple friends who live in uh -huh. the town, and they mm -hmm. watched it actively, and they were texting me about it. Yeah. But I was like, oh, my God, if one of them go into this chat and say something dumb, I'm going to yeah. die, actually. There was just, I, through Vat Club, said congratulations one other person said something, and then one person commented, I, I like, like men. men. <laughs> Good for you. It's like, great, bro. That's cool. I, I think men are no great, too. No clue who you are. I also like men. <clears throat>
What? I don't. No, no, no. We're cutting this bit. No, we're what? not cutting this bit. We're cutting it to an end. Okay. Anyway. So anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, but nobody comments on YouTube. Facebook, you get a lot of grandmas commenting and stuff. Yeah. But on YouTube, people just don't comment. Good job to the speakers. They were yeah. great speeches. All the all the kids are great, and uh, the uh, officiators oh, yeah. <laughs> did did very well. It's a very well oiled machine. Uh, it's uh, it, it always goes off without a hitch in just over an hour usually. They want it to be like 63 minutes at most or something like that. <laughs> like once you pass an hour. Uh, once you pass an hour, they're yeah. like, okay, come on. Uh, let's, let's get going. Do you feel any different after it? Not really. I mean, the, I think it was interesting to sit right next to my brother and for us to walk and because we're, we're never really standing right next to each other. You have a twin. I have forgotten it so we, many times. We never, yeah, it's like we're not in the same circles. So yeah. seeing us sitting right next to each other and yeah. the differences of yeah. how we walked, how we act, like what we're wearing uh -huh. robe-wise was uh, robe and cord-wise was definitely, uh -huh. I think, really interesting. Yeah. I felt bad because anytime I'd move, I'd start clinking like a stick of sleigh bells. <laughs> and I'd just be walking by and I'm like, bing, 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 bing. Yeah. What all did you have then? Oh, gosh. I, I had track of those. the Honor Society cord. Yeah. I had the Magna Cum Laude cord. Right. I had a medal from Drama, which was unofficial. Right. Uh, but it was given to me by Kinder. Yeah. And I wore it anyway because funny. I had a really big medal for State Scholar, and uh -huh. then I had one for, I think another one for State Honor Scholar, Society. Of course. Yeah, awesome. It was a lot absurd. to be proud of. Honestly, it's uh, there were so many kids that like what was it? There nerd was moment. There were there were so many nerdy <laughs> kids. No, we that was I can't remember now. I was just talking yesterday with somebody about this that. How many kids that we had that were in the top, like whatever you know, percentage oh, of students scholars, and yeah. state scholars? And us, we really for this little school in Richland County, Southern Illinois, uh, we have a lot of uh, credits to our name, a lot of feathers We've got in our cap. Some cat. brainy dudes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot to be proud of. It's always fun. As I mentioned, that do they do keep it down to an hour? I have talked to the person who really wanted to keep the trains running on time for that, which is Chris Simpson, the superintendent Chris Simpson, who is our on the uh, podcast today is the interview Yay. and he is I've, I've had several conversations with him where he mentioned about like um, he knows that people start getting itchy in their seats right when you hit three o'clock mm -hmm. start at two or three start at three it's so like right a, when you get an hour in at four it's like that last um, day of school kids yeah. start like squirming in their seats yeah. and they're like okay we got oh, five minutes like the and, then the, and then the bell rings and it's high school musical um yeah. <laughs> yep that is that has been his uh, one of his things that he's always wanted it to go very well because it represents us in the community. And he, of course, presided over his very last commencement as administrator. Anyway, I'm sure we'll see him there in the future. And he mentioned that too. He had a, uh, always a good speaker. I knew mm -hmm. he'd be ready with a good speech, and he had those kind of list of numbers and you know how long how long it's been since the first school was built here in town and all that stuff. And uh, it was great to see him speak. Uh, you guys can find that on the Richland County the RCCU one. Uh, YouTube page. It was live Wait, streamed the live there. Saved? Oh yeah, <gasps> yeah. It's posted, so it's there. Oh, so my goodness. you can uh, review those speeches if you like, or if you want to hear from Chris Simpson, you can just keep your ears tuned in right now because that's what we're going to next. Is my interview with Superintendent Chris Simpson. <laughs> Mr. Simpson, thank you so much for coming in today for this interview. I've been really looking forward to it. I just want to start off with, uh, you You started out as a, a science teacher. Was that your first? I know you were a science teacher before. Is yes. that what you started off as in, uh, 
in your career? I did. Well, first, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm a big fan of podcasts, so my first ever podcast to participate in. Listen to a lot of them. So this is this is a unique and different experience for me. So thanks for the opportunity and the invitation. Excellent. Uh, as far as teaching, yes, I started out as a as a biology teacher and I taught for 14 years. Uh, actually, when I began, I was teaching in a school that was a K-8 school, a very mm-hmm. small school district north of Champaign. Is that Buckley Loda? It was Buckley Loda at the time. It's now called Paxton Buckley Loda mm-hmm. at the time. Further consolidation. Well, right. And I was there the year, the last year they existed. Uh, so I guess I shut it down. Really? <laughs> was Do I remember correctly? I don't know if this is true. Were You were there one year. Were you riffed that year too? I, not officially because ah. I that was happening the following year. So they were about to consolidate with Paxton, Mm -hmm. and I had been told, essentially, you really ought to look because in the consolidation, the reorganization of the school district, if you are a first-year teacher, maybe Mm second-year teacher, there's a good chance that you're not coming back. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were going to have more teachers than they needed with the consolidation. So I began looking for, (laughs) looking and and found the job down here uh, in Richland County, but I... At that particular school, it was a K-8 building, Mm -hmm. so I was teaching 5th through 8th grade science Uh and also teaching 6th grade homeroom where you taught reading and spelling. So it's interesting, I've said many times before that I probably should have been arrested for impersonating a teacher because I was teaching in an area outside of what I thought I was going to be teaching, Uh and not to mention the fact that I was just green and and just beginning. So uh, I wasn't really sure what I was doing had I been teaching in biology. I think a lot of first-year teachers feel like they're getting away (laughs) with the crime. Like, this can't be what teaching is, right? right? And (laughs) I remember when I would would, uh, direct students to do something and they actually did it. I thought, wow, (laughs) they really actually did what I asked them to do or what I I said. Sometimes. Yeah, well, sometimes. (laughs) But no, it's true. You feel like... uh, okay, do this. And when they start listening, it's like, oh, I get, there's some authority in that. That's, right. that's just there. But it was, a, it was a great experience, and it was a, a wonderful place to begin and a wonderful opportunity to learn. I had a terrific principal, Jay Ross was his name, who was a fantastic mentor to me. And being in a, a KA building, there were actually mm-hmm. just two other males in the building. Mm. It was, the principal was a male, and the custodian was a male. <laughs> So the fact that, that I was a male that was going into that, I, I think had a lot to do with the fact that I probably got the job because I was, was not necessarily qualified uh-huh. to do the job. But I say also it was, it was the 80s yeah. where certification was more of a suggestion <laughs> than a requirement. Yeah. <laughs> so not to mention the fact that I was also willing to coach volleyball, basketball, and track. Ah, okay. So, yeah, uh, Clay Wheeler earlier told me, did you do some custodial duties there too? I did. He said you did a lot of like, supplemental work just to get some, <laughs> you did, some secondary well, income or just to pitch in there and be noticed as somebody who's a team player. It was both. Uh, it was in a small district, and as I mentioned, they were about to consolidate with Paxton. So uh-huh. the school district was in very, very bad financial shape. Uh-huh. So yes. if they, they really required everyone to pitch in, to be able to run the district. It Mm -hmm. it was all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. So that was part of it is just out of necessity. Part of it was, was being a team player and the fact that uh, this was an opportunity for me to help out in some other areas. Mm -hmm. But there was also some of a supplemental income because 
the salary that I was being paid was very, very low. Mm -hmm. And even with the additional duties I had. So the the custodian had been injured Uh and they just really didn't have the money to Uh hire somebody. So every so often I would pitch in and Mm -hmm. and help help clean up. Make a little bit of extra money. Not yeah. much, but a little bit. Yeah, a little bit's better than nothing. <laughs> uh, I mentioned Rift earlier, too, which for uh, those listening who don't know, that's a reduction in force. It's something that happens when the basically there's a financial shortfall or something like that. I was remembering uh, earlier, as I was kind of like going through a little bit of your history, too, uh, my first year here, we had a, a, a sizable Rift, not, not enormous, but it was, we did have cuts. Right. And that was my very first year here, and I was in uh, October, I think it was. It was October or November, and I still remember we were all in the old faculty lounge. I, for some reason, I visualize you standing next to the piano that was down there and kind of regretfully telling us that there we don't know what the cuts are going to be, but we want to be, which I appreciated that you were up mm-hmm. front about it. Uh, but we don't know how deep the cuts are going to be, but we know there's going to be some cuts. And I was the only new hire at the high school that year. So I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I see the writing on the wall. Yeah. I did. And it was it was kind of miserable. You know, it wasn't the, the I, I still had a good year here. I felt like I was treated very well and, you know, very fairly. And I understood, you know, how that worked. But I believe we had a conversation that uh, around that time at some point where you talked to me about how your first year that you faced right. riffing. And it's like it, that was a big you know, I don't know, it was a comfort because my thought was really like, you know, am I going to find another place? What's the future felt so uncertain. And, you know, now I can look back and say that, of course, if you're willing to keep going, you're going to find something that's going to work out. But I was a little bit devastated. And that advice really kind of like centered me back a little bit like, okay, this is something that happens to people. I'm not the first, I won't be Mm -hmm. the last. Well, Um, I'm glad that I'm glad it was helpful. And the that uh, you found that to be useful because I do remember at that time, I'm 22 years old and mm-hmm. my first teaching job, and I didn't necessarily expect yeah. that I was going to stay there mm-hmm. forever. It wasn't, yeah. I was teaching in an area, as I mentioned, it was fifth through eighth grade science and my degree was in biology. What I really wanted to do was, was uh-huh. teach high school biology. Oh, I see. So I didn't expect to stay there forever, but I also needed a job. Yeah. And when I found out that, that this job was probably going to end, mm-hmm. then I would have people say something to me like, well, you're young, you'll go find something else. Well, and that's true. In the moment though. But when, you, when you're faced with that, you're, you're dealing with the reality that uh, I still have bills to pay. I had student loans. I had a new truck that I had purchased. And, yeah. and there were, yep. whether you're 22 or 42, yeah. there are bills to pay. And I recognize now later in life that the size of the bills and the yeah. number of the bills are different. Well, you'd probably just move to a new area too, and that tends to kind of wipe out somebody's nest egg that they have built up at that age anyway. Well, it's funny because when I left Buckley Loda and I took a job teaching at West Richland, I started mm-hmm. teaching biology at Noble High School. And at the point at which, in the Buckley Loda School District, you got paid once a month mm-hmm. for 10 months. Yeah. So your last paycheck was on June 20th. Yeah. I'll never forget, it was, you got paid on the 20th of the month. And at that time, in the West Richland District, you also got paid once a month. Uh-huh. And that was on the 22nd of the month. So my last paycheck was on June 20th. And then my first paycheck in, in Noble was on September 22nd. Oh, wow. So moving to a new town. And wow. at that time, you have a de- – well, first of all, I didn't have much money anyway. Yeah, sure. And you have all the deposits for – electricity yep. for for yeah. 
trash, everything, cable, your phone, all those different things, you have these deposits. Probably a need for some new clothes. And, and suffice to say, when September 22nd setting. came around, yeah. <laughs> was I, was, I was as broke as broke could be. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, I was, was great. I, I was turning over every seat cushion and everything yes. you could find just to try to cobble together enough yeah. money for anything. So it was, but those are, are times, and I look mm -hmm. back on them really fondly. It was oh, uh, for sure. challenging, but it was also a it's great. not a challenge I want now, but yeah. <laughs> right, right, I think it sure. made, uh, I think the course of my life obviously changed, but I my plan was originally to be here for a few years and then move on. Like, oh, I'll live around my family for a bit, but mm -hmm. I don't think all is gonna be it for me. And I think honestly, it was going from here and seeing kind of how well this district functioned and then going to Georgetown Ridge Farm, which was a very, you know, they've had a lot of financial troubles and several uh, superintendents that kind of went in and out, really like about five in the four years I was there. Wow. And it was while I was there, I realized like, oh, wait, I want to go back to Richmond County and stay there. I want to be around my family. I'm sick of traveling and seeing them. You know, like I didn't make a bunch of new friends up here. I made some really solid lifelong friends. But I think that absence almost made it more certain that I'd come back. And I was very glad when I, I called you up and asked if, mm -hmm. about this area and you mentioned... So I think you knew that there was going to possibly be an opening here, but you didn't, of course, mention that because it wasn't public knowledge. But I looked at Robinson and a couple places like that, and then he gave me a call back when that job opened up, and that was a big relief for sure. Well, and it was our good fortune that we were able to get you back because course, we thought you were a terrific <laughs> teacher when you first came that uh, that first time around, and then the opportunity for us to get you back was I gotta say, also I, worked really I, well. I heard that from several people, you included, um, and there was something about it that I didn't believe because I'm just like, <laughs> what did I do that worked? I don't understand. I'm, I'm drowning mm -hmm. <laughs> in this job. And I think, I mean, I would say now it's probably like just being able to connect with younger people, but that well, it did make me feel really good. But I, it's one of those like imposter syndrome. I really felt like maybe they're just saying that because they had to let me go. <laughs> well, it's what I was mentioned before. Yeah. I should have been arrested for impersonating a teacher because yeah. there is a lot of that. You, when Most everybody that gets into education, they're doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it because they want to work with young people, make a positive difference in their life, and they're really serious about the work that they're doing. And you, because of that, you want to do a really good job. And oftentimes... As a young teacher, you can be your worst critic, mm -hmm. and you can very much stew over a situation where, yes. you know, perhaps you you mishandled a situation with mm -hmm. a student, uh, you didn't quite hit the mark mm -hmm. on the lesson that you taught, right? Uh, whatever the situation might be that that all young teachers face, but particularly when you're just beginning, mm -hmm. it, it's easy to beat yourself up over that and realize it's a really that, hard job. Like yeah, if, later you realize if you that, think you're doing great in your first year you're probably just not aware that you're doing a bad job. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're delusional if yeah. you think you're yeah, doing a great job. if you think you're job. doing great overall, like a master teacher, like, this is, what is everybody talking about? This yeah. is super easy. <laughs> uh, so you wanted to be a, uh, you said you wanted to teach high school biology. Do you really remember where this started? Like when you decided that, uh, what, what made science a course for you? Like what made you choose that as a path in life? Right. Well, the, the first thing that you should know about me, or maybe another thing you should know, I'm the youngest of seven children. And my six older siblings, none of them had gone to college. Ah. They had just gone. Uh, the expectation was that you do your best in school, you do well in school, uh, you work hard. When you get out of school, then you're probably going to get a job. Mm -hmm. And that job may lead to something else, but you're just going to work hard. And it, keeping in mind, the, the time was different. Mm -hmm. And particularly growing up in Fairfield, you were 
manufacturing opportunities were greater for jobs of that type. Uh, you also had the oil field and oil industry that was going yeah. very well at the time. Yeah. There was just a, it seemed like a lot more opportunities mm -hmm. and particularly opportunities that didn't necessarily require additional education after high school. Right. So my six older siblings didn't really look at that or maybe just kind of considered it and dabbled in it. But I was the first one, the only one really that, that was interested in that and committed to that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do. What had drawn me to want to go on to school after high school was basketball. Uh -huh. So I'd had some opportunities to, to go play basketball or some places that were going to give me an opportunity to uh -huh. play basketball. And, and that's what kind of drew me towards college in the first place. So I remember when I, when I started, my major was political science. And the reason it was political science is I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh -huh. You had to declare a major. Yeah. And <laughs> I all I can imagine is I was looking down through the list of possible majors and they're in an alphabetical order, and I'm starting to get down towards the and bottom like, of it. I gotta, like, I gotta pick something, so I'm in the P's, and I choose political <laughs> science as that. Have no idea what I was going to do or, or anything with that. So gotta start somewhere. I start out as a as a political science major, and then what I discovered later was all the really cool people on campus mm -hmm. were biology majors. <laughs> Should have stopped earlier in the alphabet. <laughs> so I changed to bio. I'm like, I want to be one of these really cool biology majors. So I changed to so biology. So the draw of the kind of the aura of the cool people at that, that time. That was it. That was it. And wow. everybody knows on every college campus you go to, the biology majors are the really right? cool people. Yeah. Is that a, a I assume it was that way at Southern uh, also. Maybe. I can't say I met too many of them. So. <laughs> yeah, it really wasn't that way at Greenville yeah. College either. Right. But but I, I discovered that. I, I took a class and... Mm -hmm. Just was naturally drawn to that. I always had an interest in science mm -hmm. anyway. And when I was a student, I was I was interested in science and was a good science student. Mm -hmm. So I changed to biology and then later uh, just actually took a, the intro to teaching course, the intro mm -hmm. to education class, and put the two together. So when I started, I, I wasn't necessarily anticipating a career in education, mm -hmm. uh, wasn't anticipating biology as, as the major, just really didn't... Yeah have a lot of direction where that. I wanted to go. Yeah, I, I definitely started college in the same way. I mean, I'd start teaching until I was 30, but right. I still remember the moment that I realized that I might actually want to teach high school. I thought about teaching college for a while, and then um, I, it was, uh, I, I was like 27, and I'm uh, having a kid, and I'm married, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I, I'm still working at Denny's, and it's like, I, I, this isn't what I want for me. It's a fine career for somebody to have. It's a way to, it's an honest work, you know? I was like, I don't want this. And my wife and I were looking through options, and she mentioned the Master's of Arts in Teaching. I had my bachelor's at the time. And it was, I laughed out loud. And then in that moment, I was like, huh. You know, I had uh, some formative experiences in high school that really helped shape who I was with some important people. Like, what if I could be that person? Like, that was the moment that I realized that I was going to teach uh, high school, I guess. You mentioned your basketball career. Please don't get mad at me if this is something I'm not supposed to know. But Mr. Wheeler told me about... Uh, to ask you how you got kicked out of basketball practice every day for a week and then started varsity the next week, I believe? It was, yes. Yeah. So I was a sophomore in high school, and I grew up in Fairfield. And, and just as you mentioned with, with some of your teachers, I think one of the things that, going back to the earlier topic of mm -hmm. what drew me to education and why I changed my major and, and ultimately found myself in education, was I also had some, some great opportunities to work with 
terrific teachers all the way through school, mm -hmm. not just in high school, but, but all the way through school. And many of those were also coaches mm -hmm. as well. And they were excellent in the classroom. They were uh, competitive, hard-nosed individuals when you yeah. were in an athletic type arena. But they also really cared about their, their student athletes. So the particular person that, that Mr. Wheeler was referring to, I, I was a sophomore in high school, and, and the basketball coach was, was a very hard-nosed, competitive person. <laughs> uh -huh. And uh, I wasn't meeting expectations, and I wasn't working as hard as I needed to. And he called me out on it. And next thing I know, I'm, he's throwing me out of practice. And, and that happened over the course of several days. And I guess he decided, <laughs> if this guy is dumb enough to keep showing up, I may as well play him. <laughs> so next thing I knew, I was in the starting lineup and, oh, and, and from that point on through high school. So it was probably more by, by his own design that uh -huh. he was getting my attention uh -huh. and it worked. Thought he saw something there and he wanted and, you to and, see it and, too. And that was it. And I, I look back on it now and he definitely was, was challenging me not just to work harder, but to, to be more committed to it mm -hmm. and more serious about what mm -hmm. I was doing. And more present. the 15 year old version of myself was probably none of those things, serious <laughs> or committed or uh, working particularly hard yeah. as I needed to. That's fair. <laughs> um, so uh, we were still on biology and science though. Um, do you still have an outlet or a passion for that now? Is there anything that you have that you, you pour that kind of, uh, desire into still? Or? I do. I, well, a lot of it now is I, I read, a, a lot of what I read mm -hmm. is science related. But when I, just to give you an example of, of how things can change in your life and how opportunities can come about, because what I thought I was going to do was teach biology, and that's what my career was going to be. That's, that's I loved it. Uh, I loved the subject. Uh, I, a lot of what I did outside of school was biology related, and then the opportunity to work with students and and be having a career in education was something that that I really enjoyed. And as an example of that, uh, while I was teaching, I'd gone back and completed my master's degree in biology. Mm -hmm. So I thought that's what I was going to do for my entire career. Mm -hmm. And looking at, at what's next, as I think about retirement, what's going to be next, that's definitely one of the areas that I want to, to get back involved with. So a couple of things I've considered is even pursuing, there's a, a program through the University of Illinois that is called a master naturalist. So you really study natural history in oh, okay. the state of Illinois. And so you're, you're blending uh, Illinois natural history and uh -huh. biology, and, and that seems really interesting to me. I'm not sure what that leads to. I haven't gotten into it in too much depth. Uh -huh. One thing I've, I've talked a lot about is the possibility of, of going back in a classroom at some point. Oh, and okay. I would love to go back and teach biology. Ah. I feel like I've learned a lot about yeah. teaching and learning over the years, mm -hmm. and uh, I still love the subject, and, and there's a part of me that would like to go back in the mm -hmm. classroom. Of course, there are some limitations on doing that in right. Illinois because of teacher retirement. Yep. Uh, but also, a, a lot of what I read, I, I read a lot of nonfiction, mm -hmm. and much of it is either history or biology-related. So I, I do a lot of reading about that. And mm -hmm. then I can I can also just bore people with uh, with 
trivia about yeah. various science facts. That of course. <laughs> I'm walking through and I yeah. identify a tree and tell yeah. you its scientific name. And yeah, you could get a badge that says Master Naturalist. Yeah, that would, <laughs> wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. <laughs> I like that title. So what do you think is one of the most important lessons in the subject area of biology and science? The idea of how connected everything is mm -hmm. uh, within the natural world. And, and it's really interesting, too, to, uh, to look at not just how connected they are, but how the similarities that exist really among all living things. When you consider uh, DNA and cellular structure and how all living things have some basic fundamental parts to them. Mm -hmm. And there are those similarities. And, and then when you look at the, the vast diversity that exists, you can, you can still uh, see how things are connected, even though they can seem very, very different. Mm -hmm. And which, which might actually be a good lesson for everybody in the world today <laughs> yeah. to understand yeah. that we can be very different in a lot of ways, but we also have a lot of things that connect us and make us similar to one another too. So we don't always have to fight with each other yeah. over seemingly trivial things mm -hmm. or relatively insignificant things when there's so much that we share and so much we have in common. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a, is a central theme and, and something that Oftentimes, I would, would teach lessons on when I was teaching biology of how is it that we can have so many similarities among living organisms, mm -hmm. but they can also be so diverse. And you can, uh, whether you're talking about just diversity within the animal kingdom itself mm -hmm. and how you can have so much diversity, uh, even though there are those common things that, yeah. that connect them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were the circumstances that led you? You said 17 years you were teaching? 14. 14? Okay, mm -hmm. I added three on there for you. Um, uh, what are the circumstances that led you into administration? Well, I, I mentioned earlier that I thought I was going to teach for yeah. my entire professional career. Mm -hmm. And I had gone back and gotten my master's degree in biology. A at the time mm -hmm. when I left the classroom, in many ways, I had the dream job. Mm -hmm. I was teaching biology here at this high school, had a great teaching assignment where I was teaching human anatomy and physiology. I was mm -hmm. teaching the advanced biology class. I would pick up uh, as the schedule needed uh, a biology one or a life science class that we uh -huh. had at that time. So I was teaching a variety of subjects. I was the science department chair. I was mm -hmm. also coaching freshman basketball, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. And... There are many times I've looked back on it and thought, Why what were I you thinking? That? <laughs> that was a great job. Why yeah. in the world did you ever leave that and move into an administrative role? And the answer is uh, two-part. One is there definitely the opportunity to have an impact on a, on a bigger scale. One of the statements I made earlier was that we all got into education because we wanted to work with young people. We wanted mm -hmm. to make a positive difference in their life. So making that decision to move into a position where you're, there's more distance between you and the students, the whole reason you got into it in the first place, uh, was a difficult decision to make, but it was balanced by the fact that there was an opportunity to make a difference on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. And I think there is definitely the ability to do that when you move into an administrative role. But the other side of that was 
not just the opportunity to make a, a, a difference on a bigger scale, but also the opportunity to have a long-term impact on the school. Because what I saw at the time, when I started teaching here, I was in my early 30s, I was 10 years into my teaching career, and I was one of the young teachers in the school at that time. There was definitely a veteran teaching staff. A lot of them were going to be retiring. They were mm -hmm. in the retirement pipeline. And I actually looked at that and thought, wow, this is a great opportunity for me if I moved into an administrative role to really have an impact on the long-term teaching staff at this high school. Mm -hmm. Because when I left here, I moved from the high school principal role to the role of assistant superintendent. Mm -hmm. The number of teachers here, yourself included, that I had been involved with hiring mm -hmm. was a very, very large number. So looking at the, the number of teachers that I had worked with that were going to be retiring and the opportunity to be involved in their replacements, mm -hmm. choosing their replacements, was something that drew me to the job also. You've had a lot of challenges as a superintendent. We've all faced a, a rough few years. What do you think were some of the biggest challenges that you've run into so far? I mean, obviously, I think COVID ranks on there. We've had a building remodel. Is there anything about you know those that was particularly challenging or about anything else maybe that it's, it's something people wouldn't expect that have been like the big challenges in taking on that superintendent role or assistant superintendent as well? Well, when I moved into the, the role of superintendent, there were a couple of things that, that particularly intrigued me about the job. And one of them was because of my time teaching in this high school, all of my time as principal of the high school, certainly I was really invested in the high school. Mm -hmm. And knowing that we were beginning the process of renovating the high school, I really wanted to see that through. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity to move into the role of superintendent, to to navigate that and to be able to uh, finish that project was something that, that drew me to the job. And I was really glad to have the opportunity to do that, very proud of what we were able to accomplish. Mm -hmm. But people that have done building projects in schools will tell you that it's like having two full-time jobs. Yeah. You have your full-time job that you always had, yeah. and then you have the full-time part of, of trying to manage a large construction project. Mm -hmm. So I knew that going in and, and recognized that just starting out in my first year as superintendent, it was going to be extra challenging because of the fact that we had the renovation project going. What I didn't recognize at the time was that there was a pandemic yeah, on the eight months away yeah. that was going to to jump in. So I've told people many times. So that I don't was know if there's a connection. This is my first year. As assistant or as a superintendent? superintendent. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I took years. over a superintendent and caused a worldwide pandemic. I don't know if that's coincidence or if there's a connection. Connected, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was, I didn't know that that was looming on the horizon. And certainly that was very challenging. But, mm -hmm. but one thing I would also go back to that, that drew me to the, the job, in fact, when I was interviewing for the role of superintendent, the board asked me what I saw as our most significant challenge. And what I answered at that time was I saw our most significant challenge as personnel related. Yeah. Uh, the ability to, because there had been this forecasting of a teacher shortage yes. for several years. Mm -hmm. You were just really beginning to see the effects of that mm -hmm. and the number of applicants for positions being reduced. But it, it's just not teaching positions. It's it's up and down throughout the organization. Mm -hmm. It's for educational support staff, right. from bus drivers to custodial staff yeah. to office staff. 
uh, when you're looking for people that are maybe capable or, or interested in moving from a classroom position into an administrative role, it's, a, it's impacting everything. So I, I knew that a significant challenge was going to be personnel and just mm-hmm. the ability to find really capable, competent people that were going to be able to come in and continue the, the level of excellence that I think the school district has been known for. And then you add to that the pandemic and, uh, and the impact, the toll that that really took on students and student performance and student engagement, but then yes. you also, the, the impact that that had on teachers and their ability to find purpose and meaning in their work and, and wanting to continue to do that. Well, that's, that's, a good that's just been a really, really challenging time. And a lot of it just goes back into that, that aspect of, of personnel. And you've probably heard me many times before, those that work with me a lot, hear me quote Todd Whitaker, the, the oh, educator yes. and author. <laughs> a and, time or two. <laughs> and he, he, one of his statements is, it's, it's not programs, it's people. Uh-huh. And the fact is that it doesn't matter what programs you have in your schools mm-hmm. if you don't have really capable, competent, dedicated, uh, committed people to do those jobs. It, it, the best programs in the world don't amount right. to much without that. So I think that that is what I see as one of the, the overarching challenges mm-hmm. during my time. And I see it as, as probably really the most significant challenge going forward still is going to be that solving that personnel puzzle. So what do you think going forward? I mean, we've also talked about circle of control sometimes. We can't in our district, a small rural district, smallish, I'd say we're mm-hmm. pretty sizable for, you know, some surrounding areas, but for this district, we can't do too much about the nationwide shortage of teachers. But what do you think we do uh, going forward in the future to keep addressing this problem of uh, lack of personnel or like how do, how do we draw people towards us or how, how do we foster uh, new educators from our ranks or something like that? One of my goals during my time as superintendent has been to develop a, a grow your own initiative mm-hmm. and the idea of grow your own. Uh, oftentimes you're an example of this and, mm-hmm. and we did a lot of grow your own uh, somewhat organically and unintentionally right. because mm-hmm. when you walk throughout any of the buildings in the school district, yeah. you see a large number of teachers that are graduates mm-hmm. and, and natives of Olney and Richland County. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that was happening unintentionally. Just sort of naturally. And it was something sort of that... Sort home that yeah, we it was. And people go in education and they end up coming back. Want to, to come, want to stay home. They want to come close to home. They want to be near family. Yeah. And they'd had good educational experiences mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So there was, if there was ever an opportunity to work in education in their home school district, people wanted to take advantage of that. And now it's become more of a need to do that intentionally. But I would also say that it's not just for teaching positions. Yes. It could be in any of those other support positions as well. And trying to attract people to want to come back to Richland County, want to come mm-hmm. back to Olney and, and teach. And I think a lot of, as, as the school district, we generally consider to be one of the top three employers in Richland County. Mm-hmm. We have about 310 employees. Mm -hmm. So we're always looking for some people and they're certainly not all going to be classroom teachers. Right. And every 
employer in Richland County is trying to solve that puzzle sure. of how do we attract people? Yeah. How do we get people to want to stay home? Uh-huh. How do we draw people to be here? The other thing I think that's, that's going to be necessary, and this is a topic that, that has come up from time to time, and it, it's not anything that has, uh, has gained a lot of traction to make any changes, mm-hmm. but it's also thinking about ways that you incentivize certain positions and the, mm-hmm. particularly in some of those areas that are difficult to fill, yeah. uh, some of those positions that where you might have, you never had a large number of applicants. Now maybe the pool is one or two if mm-hmm. you're lucky. Sometimes yeah. it's it's less. So trying to maybe incentivize some of those positions to to try to draw people here and looking at more creative ways that you can uh, attract very capable, competent people to do those jobs. We'll be right back after this message from our community billboard. So we're switching it up for the ad roll today because we don't need ads because we don't need money. So we have decided to create another acronym with the RCC blank, which is the Richland County Community Billboard, where we're going to be talking about events or fundraisers or places in only that we think deserve a little spotlight on the podcast. Yeah, as well as you know, you know, small businesses and just other things going on. Uh, this was something that kind of struck me the other day. It's like I really wanted an ad spot to break up interviews and to bring some legitimacy in a way, um, but we didn't have a need for money. And I like the idea that this is a completely unfunded uh, sort of community project funded through public education for sure. That club is uh, rolling in the dough. We oh, we're we're deep, we're deep in them stacks right now, bro. We got uh, dough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so what we're gonna do instead of an ad spot is this sort of community billboard break. Uh, so if you have any ideas out there or the stuff that you think we should promote, then you can email us at vatclub v a t c l u b at r c c u one dot net. And send us one. And today we're going to talk about Galactic Games and Things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on Main Street here in Alney, Illinois. It's been a staple for quite a while. He's bounced oh, around to a couple of places. Yeah. Um, I loved going uh, to that store with my dad. Zach Bookwalter uh, is uh, a guy I've kind of known for a while. My wife knew him way back in the day and still does know him. And he's a really cool guy. He's a really nice guy. I think it's a great place for kids to go and hang out because they do tabletop games also so there's yeah so there's tournaments there and stuff he hosts all sorts of stuff they just had comic book day free comic book day last last week i think they yeah uh that's really cool stuff i've never really done tabletop games but i know people really love it and get into that stuff i just didn't have any friends you're looking at me in shock i'm definitely no i had an idea i had an idea and we can talk about it later I can't believe we never did this. Anyway, yeah. I love going in there and purchasing comics and yeah. looking at the miniatures that I'll never need and, yeah. and I made staring a in one today, which is I know you can't see it, but this is good for a podcast audience. It is a bust of Mandy Patinkin from That's Indigo Montoya. The, yeah, Inigo Montoya, but Mandy Patinkin's character from <sighs> Princess Bride. Uh, and it's a talking bus. I was talking to no. I was talking to him earlier about the about uh, the talking about him on this yeah. podcast to make sure it was okay. We talked about it, and I saw this under the counter. I was like, "Oh, wait a minute! I'm buying that right now." And when you press the back, he says quotes from the movie. Oh my god! This is the worst audio. 
prepared to die. It's so great. I love it. I'm gonna cherish anyway, this forever. I love I love going in there, especially these days, <laughs> yeah. now that I have my own money and my own job. Yeah, that helps. Um, I love going in there and doing the same thing I've done since I was a child, looking up at the D and D five E modules and saying, "Oh, I wish I had the money for that." Uh huh. Yeah. No kidding. Those they're really cool stuff with that. It's like yeah. a lot of those the the different figures they have now and setups for yeah, the minis, for the tabletops yeah. and stuff. That's that's really awesome. But I've never been back. Like if they play. They have some rooms in the back room. I've never been back there. Yeah, there's a couple rooms back there that he has. Uh, When he's across the street, they did there too. Uh, But, you know, I I do know that there are several students here that will go there, and it's just a place for them to go and hang out that isn't just outside or, you know, keeping kids out of trouble or roaming around Walmart, which. Nothing wrong with that, honestly. I'm not not uh, knocking it, but you know, the children at have least only they can. The they do really the do. Yep. They really do roam in the aisles. Trust me, I know because every time I go in there, hey, Mr. Ryden. <laughs> we get it. People like you. They anyway. do. I I wish I felt the same way about me. We're getting but <laughs> Galactic Games and Things, 104 East Main Street in Olney, Illinois, in the Main Street Building. Comics, toys, tabletop games, other weird, random stuff that you'll find there. Uh, old Ninja Turtles stuff, new Ninja Turtles stuff, other things, Funko Pops. <laughs> it's a really great place. If you're into any of that stuff, uh, feed your inner nerd and uh, head on over there today. Now back to the show. Stepping into the COVID realm a little bit. I don't want to go. I think we're all kind of done with it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it too much, but I am kind of curious, though. Was there ever point where you felt a sense of control over that situation not control over covid but where you felt like i just did you ever feel like everything sort of spun out it's like oh i i have nothing here i've just got to wait and see was there a point when it started to come back and feel a little bit more in control or how was that journey overall one of the things that that i was involved with in my first year uh, was through the IASA, which is the Illinois Association of School Administrators. And as a first-year superintendent, uh, they one of the things they provide is a lot of support and mentoring and groups to work with on various topics because the, the job of superintendent is so dynamic. There are mm-hmm. so many different things that you're trying to, mm-hmm. to address and deal with that uh, you certainly go into the job feeling like you're prepared in terms of your experience in education, but then Mm -hmm. you get into the job and you realize there's a lot that you don't know. Uh, So that was designed to help with that. And what was interesting when COVID came about in March of 2020, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter if you were a first-year superintendent or a 15-year veteran. Mm -hmm. We were very much on the same level. Nobody knew... There, there was no what playbook happens. for yeah. this. There, there was everybody's ideas are just as valid, and, and, and uh, so the, it really, it really leveled the playing field for a lot of people. And I heard that so much from those veteran superintendents, mm-hmm. those people that uh, I had been calling in the first six to eight months of my job, trying to get some insight yeah. on various things or or get their feedback on a particular issue. Uh, now they just as might be as likely to call me as yeah. I would be to call them. Right. So it was, there was so much uncertainty. And one of the things that was really frustrating during that time, because you were dealing with the governor's office, certainly mm-hmm. you were dealing with the Illinois State Board of Education, you were mm-hmm. dealing with the Illinois Department of Public Health. Yeah. And 
uh, we're dealing with a, a public health issue, and certainly this was even before it had become so politicized as it of did course, become it later. Ramped up pretty quickly, <laughs> and we were all just trying to to navigate our way through, and yes. we thought that we were going to have local control and be uh -huh. able to make decisions locally, uh -huh. and then that was taken away. So the the joke always was that what you thought was true on Tuesday was no yes. longer true on yep. Friday, and Oftentimes, you would get information from the State Board of Education or from IDPH, and you would get this late in the afternoon on Friday uh -huh. with the idea that you need to have this implemented yeah. by Monday. And so yes. it was it, it was really Rapid, amazing. Rapidly developing situation. You would, you would think that when you shut down a school district, as we did in March yeah. of 2020, that there wouldn't be much to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as it turns out, there's a lot to do. Yeah, and sure. it, it was a case of, 60-hour week after 60-hour week sure. after 60-hour week. And uh, it has, over time, slowly gotten back to that. But mm -hmm. there's a saying, and I, I can't quote it exactly, but once something is stretched beyond a certain point, it yeah. never actually Returns. gets back to where it was before. Yeah. Uh -huh. and, and in many ways, the job has been like that. Mm -hmm. it, it was stretched so far out of what yeah. was normal that it never has fully regained its shape. And and some of that in education isn't necessarily bad. Right. That because does happen there were a lot some, in education. There were some things Google that could be shows up and it yeah, does that. And things then, could be changed and, and different um, approaches could be explored and we discover yeah. some new ways of doing things yeah. that will be positive changes that we want to retain. But the some of the more challenging aspects of that have I'm not sure they've ever gotten back to where you would consider them to be normal. Mm -hmm. They're more normal than they were, yeah, but course, they're, they're yeah. not a pre-COVID right. normal. Yeah. And at some point, That's just where expect that are. they will, or, or, or perhaps <laughs> maybe uh, not. Too. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, it's returning to return normality. I guess it depends on what we want. <laughs> what we want back from before that versus what's better that's changed. Do you feel like, um, I mean, we've obviously grown since then. I really feel like our district especially has you know, taken on those challenges one after another, and we've addressed them, I think, uh, you know, to the best of our ability, given the information we had at the time, I, you know, I, I feel like we, we just kind of, we, we rolled with it the best we could. Are we ready for something like this if it were to happen again? I mean, if there's another, like the same scenario comes back around, uh, do you think we're much more prepared for that now? Or is it going to be just the same mess because of politics and the... Well, I think we're, I I think we're better prepared <laughs> in some of the things as to how we would approach it. And I think there are uh, several thoughts come to mind uh, on that particular topic. One is I think that through the pandemic, it really emphasized to people the value that is brought into any community by their local schools and providing so much more than just education in a classroom. There's so much more that's involved with that. I think it really helped people recognize right. the value that, that their public schools bring. Mm -hmm. And then I think that it also gave us the opportunity to explore how we do things differently, really understanding the, the need to be able to have that face-to-face -face interaction yeah. with our students mm -hmm. and that while even the, though the students today are digital natives, they, they still uh, need that face-to-face -face interaction with their teachers. And yeah. that's really where the significant teaching and learning takes place. So understanding a way to, to blend 
that with some of the newer technologies mm-hmm. that emerged or, or became more prominent during COVID. Right. I think we, we have a much better understanding of how we can blend those together mm-hmm. to provide a better education. One of the things that, that is a concern for me if something does come up later, because I mentioned before that, that COVID had become so politicized mm-hmm. and it created so much division yeah. among people that I worry that, that what that did was it created some fractures that will be difficult to heal. Mm-hmm. And if something like that comes about soon, right. those divisions and fractures well, exist, exist and they're just going to expand. Spots and, yeah. and I, I worry that, that, that if a, something like that happens, then it, it's going to be even more challenging. Yes, yeah. Because at first, if you remember, the, the mantra during yeah. COVID-19 was, we're all in this together. Yes. Yeah. Well, and at some point. It lasted for a little while. <laughs> at some point, that was no longer the mantra. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> oh, do I remember well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was a challenging time. Yeah. That, that year back when we were in the churches, uh, I mean, we did what we had to do. It was, we just couldn't get there. It was the circumstances of going on. But boy, that was uh, that first day. I just remember going back in and being in a room with kids with, uh, you know, like, were so just the disconnect that had happened, and you know, I'm I'm not trying to politicize it myself. I'm of the, the feeling that I think a lot of the steps we took were the right ones. I, I we had, to, but there was consequences to doing the right thing. One of which being this loss of a connection to students, and they just you could just tell they hadn't they'd sat alone too long. Some of them, and I just that first day I had a class of kids that was. So I just felt so distant from it. And I think it was just stress in general, too. I'm trying to set up a little projector in this little room I've been in twice before. And uh, I just, that was the, the lowest point I've been at in my career. But we really have bounced back. And coming into this building was one of the best parts of it, getting back in here as it was getting finished up and, you know, having this nice new facility and getting back home in a way. Mm-hmm. It really felt healing. Well, there's no question. I, I've looked back on that experience and th- there's no question there were missteps that were made. Oh, of course. And yeah. there were hindsight. It's there really were, easy to point out how terribly oh, somebody it was. did and, different things and they should have done differently. It's like, well, and there were, <laughs> there were all kinds of, uh, if faced with the situation again, different decisions would be made. Yeah. And there's no question about that. And yeah. I think for, for myself, but based on knowledge we gained by having to, you know, just like anything, you make mistakes to grow right. and, it was well, a and very it was, new situation. I think a lot of it, too, was, was really trying to address it from the standpoint of, of what can we do to provide for a safe environment for students and, mm-hmm. and to keep our students as much as we could with in-person learning. Yeah. And trying to approach it from that way, then I feel okay about the, the fact of what we were able to do and, yeah. and really keeping the wheels on to, to be able mm-hmm. to to keep our doors open and, yeah. and have face-to-face education for the most part. But, yeah. but of course, there were also times where you look back and think, oh, boy, we should have handled that one differently. Or sure. there were, uh, this was, this was an opportunity to, to do something different mm-hmm. that would have provided a better outcome, but we chose right. this path versus sure. another path. And, uh, but again, that, that won't get you very far. Uh, yeah. it's, it's gone. And, and I hope that we're not, Faced with that type of situation anytime in the near future. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those things where I, I, definitely the people that shout the most about what was done wrong are the ones that probably weren't doing much to help along the way anyway, so they don't feel any responsibility for it. And it's, well, it I must, think must the, be nice to be in that position. Uh, the story or the example I've given many times is I think everyone was impacted by COVID. The only difference mm-hmm. is the degree of impact. Yes. And I know for myself, at that time in March of 2020, my daughter was a senior in college. Mm-hmm. She came home and finished her senior year mm-hmm. online. That's and right. then, of course, didn't have graduation and right. everything else oh, associated right. with that. My older son was a sophomore in college. He came home, finished his sophomore year online. Mm-hmm. My youngest son was a junior in high school. He finished his junior year online. Mm -hmm. And then my wife, as an educator, came home and tried to teach virtually. And fortunately, at the time, I could still go back to my office Mm -hmm. and work because we didn't have enough bandwidth or hot water to (laughs) to be able to to survive that. It was and and we had some very tense moments. Uh And but we also had two parents in the home. We had a stable environment. And I know that all of them were impacted by and COVID too, which is some people were just right. left like, "What do I do?" You yeah, know? the resources to be able to to continue to provide the yeah. remote learning, but when you think about the community that we live in and the students that we serve, they didn't all have those types of resources. Right. So the ability to be able to um, understand that that the impact of some people yeah. through COVID-19 was so much greater. Mm-hmm. And that's why I mentioned before that everyone was impacted. It's just yeah. a difference in the degree yeah. of impact. Yeah. Looking into the future, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges facing public education? You mentioned about um, uh, staffing and uh, finding personnel. Uh, what about like kind of the teaching side or the technology side, or, or what do you think are going to be the real big hurdles to get over uh, in the coming decade or so? Hmm. Well, the first thing I would say is that what I have always tried to be, particularly in this position I'm in now, is to be the strongest advocate that you will find for public education. And, And that's not to suggest that there aren't viable, really good alternatives to public education. But I'm the superintendent of a public school district. So one of my responsibilities is to be the the strongest advocate that you're going to find for our public education system. And it it seems to me that in in recent years, public education has really taken um, a bit of a hit. Mm -hmm. A lot of the issues that exist within society find their way into schools. Public schools, as the name implies, exist within the public and within the society and and within the communities that they're in. And whatever those issues are that are happening are going to find their way into public schools. And I think that the public schools, many ways, have become a battleground for some of these social issues. Mm -hmm. And I think it has eroded some of the trust that people have in public schools. I think that uh, that that's going to be a challenge going forward because as people consider alternatives to public education, they they may look at these alternatives as better options because they don't want to deal with some of the issues that are happening mm-hmm. within the public schools. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is, is something that is going to be an area to address going forward is, is how do we reframe the conversation about public schools mm-hmm 
so that people understand the value of the public schools, that the public schools, strong public school systems create a lot of value in a community and make their community stronger. I think that a, a big part of it is going to be trying to attract people into the field of education that are going to choose education as possibly a career path. Because I think a, a lot of people look at what's going on in public education and the battleground that exists and think, oh, maybe I had a little bit of interest in, in teaching, yeah. but I'm not the sure I want to jump in the middle of, right now, I think it's a big chilling of all of that. So trying to, to restore the respect that educators have in the community. And again, I don't want to paint a picture because I'm, a, I'm an optimistic person by nature mm -hmm. that, that it's doom and gloom, but I, right. but I do think it's a reality. There's serious that, challenges. That those challenges do exist and that it's going to require uh, serious-minded people to address those challenges and finding ways to, to find solutions to them. So I think that, uh, that that's, as I look at it going forward, the, that I think one of the biggest challenges is going to be to restore the, the status Mm -hmm. of public education and the educators that work in those public education systems so that they are back in a, in a position. Because how oftentimes do you hear people say about, talk about how difficult your job is and mm -hmm. how challenging it is? I could never do that. Well, I don't know that that, yeah. there are probably a lot of people that could be really mm -hmm. strong, effective teachers yeah. that chose a different path, but they're also saying something that's true. It's, it, it it looks easier than it is. Yeah, <laughs> I've oftentimes given the example. And I think it looks pretty difficult sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, but you, I think when when people think about teaching, they think about their most effective. Yes, best they remember. The, hopefully, they remember. Unless they had a really bad experience in school, and then they think about the teacher that didn't even try or didn't care. So right. Well, you think of that person who was. They were so effective mm -hmm. at making connections it with their like students. It seemed like it wasn't. And it, they were so knowledgeable about <laughs> yes. their subject. Yeah. And they created these lessons that were really engaging. And when you did a project or a paper or whatever it was, within a short amount of time, the papers were all graded. And uh -huh. it just seemed magical. It just, <laughs> it, it all happened by magic. And you didn't realize that behind the scenes there was all of this work that was taking place. And you realize later, when you get into education, wow, this is really hard work. And... And I don't think that necessarily everybody recognizes that they, to some degree, they recognize that it's challenging because of, of some of the social issues that schools are dealing with. And they recognize that it can be challenging to work with children of all ages, you know, whether mm -hmm. they be adolescents in high school or, or some of the younger learners that are kind of struggling with how they regulate their, their own emotions and behaviors. Yeah. Uh, but for some reason that that doesn't always translate into really a respect for the profession. Mm -hmm. And as a, a career educator, uh, that's very important to me that, that people recognize the, the value that their public schools bring. They also recognize the contribution that their teachers, their, their children's teachers are making into their children's lives. Mm -hmm. And also uh, recognizing that this is really hard work. I, mm -hmm. Jeff, I have done, going through my life, I've worked from factory work to farmhand mm -hmm. to construction worker, all of these different jobs. I have never 
been more tired than after a day of teaching. Yeah. It, it, and, it, and unless you've done it, <laughs> yeah. you can tell somebody that yeah, and they, they look at you like you have two yeah. heads. And yeah. I have never been more tired than after a day engaged in that because mm-hmm. it, it is physically demanding, yeah. but mentally and yeah. emotionally, it is yes. really exhausting as well. And I don't think that, that oftentimes people recognize how challenging the work is. And uh, that's something that when I moved from, from teaching into an administrative role, something I always tried to uh, keep in mind that my primary responsibility, particularly as a building principal, was to do everything I could to ensure that the very best teacher was in that classroom every day. Mm-hmm. And part of that was the need to be able to support them and provide them with the resources and the tools to be able to do that. Part of it was trying to screen the applicants so you got the best person right. in the for the job, but then also helping that person continue to grow and and develop as a teacher and then provide them with the tools and resources that they needed to be able to do that. Because recognizing that it is very hard work. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So you've talked a lot about, you know, like having the right people. Uh, when you're considering the overall health or climate of a school district or building, I suppose it'd be better, um, ours or some other things, what are the first things you look for? If you're trying to say like our school climate, our school culture, what, where's the first place you'd look if you, maybe you got called into another district and they said, you know, we're having some trouble with student engagement or, or something, you know, this or that. Uh, what would be some of the first things you would look at to be real telltale signs of how things are going at school? I think that within just walking through the hallways and seeing what's happening in the hallways, and this is kind of thinking of it in a high school context, okay, yeah. because you have passing periods and you don't necessarily would have a, you would have a different structure in an elementary yes, school. Yeah. So maybe in a middle school as well, but, but particularly in a high school, you would find this is really just being in the hallways in, in this particular case with our high school in the commons area. And you see the interactions that are taking place between teachers and students and really all staff and students. It doesn't have to be a teacher. It could be somebody in the office. It could be somebody that is working in food service or custodial staff. But to see the interaction that exists between the teachers and the adults in the building and the students. Because do the, do the adults in the building recognize that the reason we all work here is because of the students that go to school here? Mm-hmm. That's our purpose is to 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 do the best that we can to serve the needs of those students, beginning with their academic needs, but also whatever other needs they have, social needs, emotional needs, physical needs in some cases. But our purpose is to do that. And I think you, you gain a lot just by walking through the school during those unstructured times mm-hmm. when before school, lunch, uh, passing periods, and you see the interactions, our, our teachers standing by their doors and in the hallways? Are they having interactions with students mm-hmm. as they're coming by? Uh, and, and then certainly when you go into the classroom and you see the, the level of engagement that the students have mm-hmm. with something that is meaningful mm-hmm. to them, yeah. and, and then the interaction that the teacher is having with the, the students. And a big part of that is, is, is the teacher up and engaged and and connecting with students on a regular basis. There's certainly time for seat work and individual work mm-hmm. and 
things of that sort. But but there's also going through classrooms and seeing what's happening and the interactions between the teacher and the students. When when the time is more structured yeah. and it's actual instructional time mm-hmm. that's taking place. Yeah. You're retiring soon, mm-hmm. um, as we all know. June 30th. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you feel about it? <laughs> that sounds a little a little excited about it. I mean, are, are, are you feeling good about that? Are you hesitant to leave? I am feeling good about it, but I'm also apprehensive and nervous about what's next. This has been... 35 years working in public schools, 34 of those years in Richland County. Mm -hmm. So the one year we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast, which was north of Champaign, but 34 of those 35 years in Richland County. And so much of of my identity here locally is connected with my role as an educator. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't always been in this role. It's been... Mm -hmm. Uh, as a as a teacher, as a as a high school principal, now in the role of superintendent, but so much of my identity has been in, intertwined with my role as an educator, and and that's going to be a bit of a shift. Mm-hmm. And but it's also been thirty five years, and typically teacher retirement is is thirty three years. I actually stayed. Uh, in this two years longer, mm-hmm. I was eligible to retire two years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, that was for a couple of reasons. One being that I had three kids in college, yeah. and that was a reason to continue working. Sure. But it was also bigger than that, too. It was from our earlier discussion about the pandemic and mm-hmm. COVID-19. I just didn't feel right about leaving yeah. at that time. And there the was just so much uncertainty. There were all those things that were, were mm-hmm. still left, and I wanted to to see those through and mm-hmm. hopefully uh, feel like this the school district was in a better position mm-hmm. having come out of COVID-19 and the remodel project and the, that we were going to be in a better position. Uh, but 35 years is is a lot of time to spend yeah. doing something and have your identity yes. so intertwined with that. Absolutely. So I am a bit apprehensive about what's next and uh, what what I'm going to find to meaningfully engage myself mm-hmm. and, and work. And I really think it will probably be something in education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I believe I've spent 35 years developing a, a level of knowledge and understanding and, and experience and expertise in some of these areas with education. I don't see myself just totally walking away from that right. and not having some sort of, of connection back to it. But I also feel good about the fact that, and feel at peace with the fact that, that it's time to transition on to something else and, and move into a, a new realm and, and do something that is different than what I have been doing over the mm-hmm. last several years. Having said all that, I would choose this career all over again. It's been terrific. It's, it's been a career that I would never have guessed that this is what I would do. Mm-hmm. If I was where our high school seniors are today, at that point in my life as a yeah. high school senior in spring, I didn't know. I'd mentioned earlier, I, I, I thought I would go to college. I yeah. wanted to, but yeah. I didn't know where or mm-hmm. what I was going to study. And I certainly would never have guessed that I would be the superintendent of a, of a school district that has the size of budget that we have, that mm-hmm. employs the number of people that we have, yeah. that serves the number of students that we have, 
that provides the the opportunities that that exist here. I, it's it's just been a dream come true for me, and and something beyond my dreams of anything that I thought I would do. So, I feel good about the the work that's been done, and I feel good about the the time to make the transition. Mm-hmm. But there's a bit of apprehension about what exactly it's going to be. What are some of the things you think you'll miss the most? Well, it, without a doubt, the the people that you work with mm-hmm. are the the number one thing. And I've had kind of a running joke with the people that work in the district office that uh, this is a part of the job I won't miss when it comes to <laughs> doing certain parts of the uh-huh. job. I won't miss this part of yeah. it. But you certainly miss the, the work with the, the people. And, and in the job I'm in currently, you have to seek out opportunities to be more engaged with students because mm-hmm. th- that's not what my role is. Right. But I certainly will miss the students and the opportunity to just last week, I was was the guest speaker in the college and careers class here. Uh, next week, I'm, I'm speaking in the civics class mm-hmm. to a couple of different classes there. If I go down to the elementary school and, and maybe I read to students or do mm-hmm. a book talk of a book at, at the elementary school, so those opportunities that you have to mm-hmm. to engage with students are really fun and a great reminder of why you chose this career in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I'll definitely miss those, but but the people that that I work with uh, are really the the biggest part of that because schools are about people, they're about relationships mm-hmm. and going off to a to another phase of life and walking away from some of those relationships I know is going to be hard. Yeah. Do you have any uh, piece of advice for someone like Mr. Rusk who's just now getting into administration or for, I forget our new superintendent's, incoming <laughs> superintendent's name. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jason Fox. Fox. Okay, yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah, he's he's my successor. Is nice. going to be Huge Mr. fan. Fox. He sounds like a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he will be. He's going to do great. Uh, a couple of pieces of advice. One is to always remember that the, 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 the role of leadership is to serve people. And it's necessary to make difficult decisions at times. And, and sometimes those decisions can, uh, can create some challenging situations for you with maybe the people that you serve or, yeah. or some others in the community that disagree with that decision. But understand that really the the purpose of it is to serve. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the serving is for the students. Because the reason schools exist is not to provide places for you and me to work. The reason schools exist is to provide educational opportunities and learning experiences for the students that we serve. Mm -hmm. So it's important to, to keep that in mind. And the other thing I think the other the second piece of advice is to make sure that that you are taking care of yourself as well. And that is that you're not going to do well serving those other people if you're not also taking care of yourself. The the cliche to that is when you are on a flight, the flight attendant always tells you to put your oxygen mask on first mm-hmm. because Before you can't you help anybody else yeah. unless you have your oxygen mask on. And and a lot of that if you're in a leadership role. And that's a that's an area that I've never that, that I have oftentimes not done as well as I should have, because you are so consumed with the work yeah. and the amount of time that if something has to go, it's your stuff that has to go, yeah. and just your own ability to 
find ways to decompress or take care of yourself. But you have the time to do it. It is. It is. It is really important to do that, and and that would be. Uh, advice I would give to to anybody that's moving into that type of leadership role. I wanted to ask a couple, like just to kind of end here on on a high note in a way, a couple personal questions, personalist questions, nothing too personal. (laughs) What are your outside hobbies and interests? You said you like to read a lot, you read a lot of nonfiction. Uh, What other like kind of hobbies or interests you have? What do you do to turn off your brain at the end of a day or just when you you finally get some time to yourself? What's your go-to? Well, I do a lot of things outdoors. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like outdoor activities, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I'm hoping to be able to spend more time doing, uh, regaining some of those hobbies and experiences. I, I was actually joking with my wife uh, recently that, remember when, when you first met me, I had all these hobbies and all these areas of interest, and, and in more recent years, it's been work and family. Yeah. And those are both great things. I, I I love spending time with my family and I and I've loved the work. Yeah. So it's never been anything that was I felt like I was missing something. Mm-hmm. But I'm also looking forward to some opportunities to get back into some of those hobbies and experiences that I, I spent more time doing. And a lot of those are centered around outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. So I I like to to hike and, and do things outdoors mm-hmm. and, and I would like to spend more time uh, in my canoe and kayak, oh, yeah. and I would like to, to heart. be yeah. able to do those <laughs> those types of things and and more time in pursuing those those areas of interest. Mm-hmm. I mentioned I, I I read a lot. Perhaps yeah. that's the the hazard of being married to a librarian. That she, <laughs> she expects everybody should read a yeah. lot, starting with me. But fortunately, I I like Enjoy to, it, yeah. and, and it's it's one of those things that a few years ago I had kind of gotten away from that because I mm-hmm. felt like that. I spend so much time in my job mm-hmm. always reading something yeah. that mm-hmm. when I went away from it, I, I wanted mm-hmm. to do something different. For sure. And that was kind of just an excuse to be lazy and not do it or just veg <laughs> yeah. in front of the television. Yeah. So now I've gotten more into it. And audiobooks are a great way to get uh-huh. back into it because if you're walking your dog mm-hmm. or doing some Taking things, a that's, a, that's a great way to, uh, to get back into it. Yeah. But I, I, I probably read somewhere between 40 and 50 books a year. Oh, that wow. are, are so that's been, and some of my friends will ask me because I'll bring up something I read in a book recently. Yeah. And I, when are you finding all the time? <laughs> I, I guess when you're watching television is yeah. when I find time. Yeah, or right. maybe it's an audio so book. Scrolling that, our cell phones too. Yeah, when I, when I do that. Time. So, but a lot of it's nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And um, occasionally it's young adult novels, you know, the, mm-hmm. the two authors that we just had right. here uh, for the One Book, One Community and the high school mm-hmm. author. I read both of their books and and I thought they were very entertaining and and interesting topics yeah. and but also a lot of it is uh is nonfiction. I just recently read a, a biography of the Beatles and nice. uh, that was That's time it, well spent. It was great. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. And then I I had of all things I I came across this book and I saw the movie years ago but it was all the president's men. Oh sure, uh-huh. about yeah. Watergate and uh-huh. Nixon's, and it was the the original mm-hmm. Woodward and Bernstein yeah. book of all the president's men, uh-huh. and fascinating. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'll bet but going back in time and, and, a, and a real artifact of history too, right? And understanding on, on uh, what what politics. was happening during that particular time. So, that, those are some of the things, and and I'm hoping that uh, I'll be able to also spend a little more time in some areas associated with 
biology and mm -hmm. and that's also connected with when I when I speak of biology it's not biology in a lab it's mm -hmm. biology out in the field uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> doing some things related to that so uh, that's some of your retirement plans you mentioned before that you might want to go back into the classroom do you consider subbing at all or just a, do you think you'll you'll have to scratch that itch or is it going to be like okay I need a year or something like that <laughs> well I don't have anything established yet and having some conversations with people about what's next I've, I've told mm -hmm. them I Officially, I retire from this position on June 30th, mm -hmm. so I don't necessarily think I have to have something on July 1st. Right. Yeah. So some I people have, feel like they do. Some I'm people going like they to. Do, and I, I think it's it, there's a balance too because if you don't get back into something, there's that danger of I don't think you're going to have this problem, but uh, danger of becoming too sedentary and just sort of like slipping into couch retirement, right. which isn't healthy or. Uh, enjoyable, I don't think. But, no, I would be. Uh, I, I, I would be terrible at retirement. I, I, I have that sense. And I, and I like I to. I like to work. I like yeah. to. Uh, I like to to do the work, and particularly if I think the work is meaningful, and mm -hmm. and I like the people that I'm working with. I I I've never I've never had a job that I dreaded mm -hmm. going to, and I've had some like any other job. Uh, certain parts that I like better than others, but I've never had one that I that I dreaded getting up and going to. So I just like to work, and, yeah. and I see myself doing that. But I've also joked that we were talking about young people earlier and this new idea of taking a gap year. Uh -huh. I'm going to act like an 18 or 19-year-old. Yeah. I'm going to take a gap year. I think you should travel around <laughs> a little bit. Do you have maybe any I'll take travel a, ideas? Maybe I'll take a like few that? months. Maybe I'll take a, a few months. backpack around Europe? <laughs> that will... Uh, Last year, when I had had a medical issue and I was yes. off work for a while, I read a book called Dear Bob and Sue, mm -hmm. and it was written by a couple who quit their jobs, spent oh, yes. the year uh, traveling around the United this. States, yeah. going to national parks, uh -huh. and Bob and Sue were their friends. Uh -huh. So I've joked that what I'm going to do in retirement is I'm going to write my book, uh, and the title of the book is going to be Dear Michelle which is my wife's name, uh -huh. and uh, all the places I've traveled while she's still working. <laughs> and uh, this is, <laughs> is going to be all the, all the places oh. that I've gone. So uh, we'll see. Don't, I'm sure she'll love that. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if that one ever actually <laughs> yeah. hits the bookshelves or not. <laughs> that's great. Uh, I'm sure that'll win you some real brownie points. Yeah. At least you're thinking of her, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, I miss you. Yeah. The, the sunset's awesome. You should be here. <laughs> Uh, well, Chris Simpson, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. I really appreciate you talking to me today. And uh, I appreciate everything you've done for this district and your support for the arts over the years. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's just that you show up for everything, but we really noticed that uh, you would show up for every musical and that you had our backs on several issues. And so uh, Mandy and I and uh, Mr. Wycamp, too, really have noticed and appreciate that, too. So thank you for all you've done for this district. And Chris Simpson, you matter. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Chris Simpson for that interview. It was really fun talking to him. I've joked several times about how him and I are both uh, well-known at-length talkers. And boy, did we through this interview, because it was an hour and a half long interview. So you did not get all of that today. I'm going to cut a chunk out of that and I'll add some of that later. We plan kind of an end of season like bloopers and extra episodes. So you'll probably catch some of it there. But it was really great to talk to him. I uh, He's hired me twice, <laughs> in, or at least been the, the principal uh, 
here two times when I got hired and, and gave that input. I've gone to him to, for advice several times, and I've had a lot of conversations with him about education. And he is very passionate about education and about uh, what we do here at public schools. And I know he is going to continue in some measure to serve in that way. He's going to find a way to do it for sure. And just to top it off, we want to extend our thanks, our biggest thanks to him for not only being on the podcast, but for being superintendent of the school district. He's done an amazing job and seeing uh, the district and just the students and the staff through a lot of challenges, including mm -hmm. the pandemic and the remodel of the school. So, mm -hmm. And it's not an easy job. I mean, basically, well, during that remodel you've taken on the job of you know monitoring this massive remodel project massive. while also still being superintendent and having to move the kids around that and then you add in the covid thing which we talked a little bit about in the interview and that's just a whole new ball game where suddenly nobody's an expert anymore and everybody's ideas are valid and but also nobody knows what they're doing nobody's and everybody an looks expert, but everybody you. is an expert yeah that's true you know the people that you don't want to be pretend they are but but he was the one that had to deal with a lot of people that were you know he's the one that everybody looks to for answers on the local level uh and so he just had to step up to that and i think he did a very good job on that especially considering the benefit of hindsight that we have now if you don't look at that, he really had to just make a lot of decisions and had to do the best he could with it. And I, I think they did a fantastic job of getting us through that. And I'm very happy with how the remodel project went overall. So, Sophia, you're going into your summer, your first your first summer as a graduate. I don't know why that came out so weird. <laughs> your first summer as a graduate. Going into summer? You're going. So, Sophia, you're getting into your summer vacation before you go off to college and all that. You got any big plans? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm going to Disney with the band, and then I've got oh, right. family vacation. When is that? At the end of the month. I should know this because yeah, my your son kid's is going. going. <laughs> we were going well, to go I guess there. you'll figure out when you you wake up and suddenly he's on a bus up to Florida. Yeah, yeah, that, and I've happens. got a family vacation. But cool. besides that, just working and yeah. getting stuff set up for UIUC, uh, including taking the placement tests that I'm supposed to be taking, but I haven't taken yet. <laughs> And you just did your last interview right before we yeah. recorded this, right? So that, that's your last one. Uh, and I still have two more. I'm doing two this week. And that should wrap up mine. Yeah. So we will get Sophia on as many of these interstitials as we can, or these intros and outros or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a point, though, when you're just not going to hear her anymore. Not away from the mic. Oh, no, that was a heartfelt. That wasn't creepy. No, get mind. away from the mic. This goes Get. to the Aaron Rains is in the audience and no. I heard are big fans of no. close talking. I think um, if you would like him to stay away from the mic and not get close to your ears while you're walking alone or doing anything and make, <laughs> stop him. Oh, that from, and, so creepy. It is creepy. <laughs> if you would like, if you would like him and to. Mr. Ryden got close to my ears and he whispered. If you would Hi. like. Hey. How's it going? Okay, I'll stop. That was the last one. If you would like him to stop doing that, um, email you us should email at us at VatClub. VatClub at rccu1.net. Or so if a, you really like no, close talking guy and no, you want no, no, more, no. even maybe complete close talking guy segments or a separate podcast, we can Excuse have me? close talking I, with Mr. Ryden. Okay, have a great week and an even greater summer. And make sure to keep Mr. Ryden away from the mic. Yippee, Yippee to, to you and yours. yours. <laughs> Our School Matters, with your hosts, Sophia Raines and Jeffrey Wright. Produced by me, Evan Irvin. Executive produced by Jeffrey Wright and Sophia Raines. 
Theme and incidental music composed and performed by Evan Irvin. Research provided by Abby Atwood. Our School Matters is hosted by Voices of Richland County Podcast Network, an RCHS VAT Club affiliate. Rate and review the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, and we may read your comments on our show. You can also contact us at batclub at rccu1.net. Please subscribe to us on your preferred podcast apps.